Kitten, kitten, kit. Oh, no. Britain, Britain, Britain. Those cats get everywhere. I'm a dog person myself. Anyway, enough about me and the animals. Here's some interesting facts about Britain. Number one. Britain was invented in 1965 by Sir Charles Britain. Number two. Britain is a Great Britain. And number six. Britain. Meanwhile, over in a small hamlet known as Carlisle, a group of council workers are frantically hiding behind potted plants in the hallway, passing the time with idle small talk about the great British topic, the weather. On the morning of the 6th of January 2011, the employees working in the benefits department at Carlisle City Council were shocked when they opened an email entitled Working Practices. 31 members of staff received the email sent by two team leaders. It related to a rule that Carlisle City Council introduced to ban council staff from using work time to catch up on gossip, discussions of non-work related matters and not treating the office as a day-to-day -day holiday camp. Essentially, the email suggested that if staff members stood in the queue for the photocopier to have a chat, they should clock out. The email went on to say, in order to ensure maximum output is produced, the working ethos within the office will need to change. Staff should be aware of the reason why they are here, which is to work and not to treat the office as a day-to-day -day holiday camp. It is not a requirement for you not to talk to your fellow colleagues, but you should ensure that non-work conversations are kept to a minimum. It lists specific examples of non-work subjects, including conversations about holidays, babies and pets. The email also warned against using social networking, sport or fashion websites, looking at photographs and posting adverts on for sale websites or wanted websites, adding staff should log on to systems first thing and not catch up on gossip. The GMB union described the email as ridiculous and a disgrace and challenged it. Carlisle City Council later apologised for the email and said its management approach fell short of its usual high standards. The Deputy Chief Executive said the matter was an isolated incident and lessons would be learned. The council rule was later dropped. In Scotland, men proudly wear skirts and no underwear as they frighten away the English with their large haggises. This is no compensation, however, for the small fact that none of the money in Scottish wallets is classed as legal tender. The Bank of England is the central bank of the United Kingdom. It is the only institution authorised to issue legal tender banknotes in England and Wales. Her Majesty's Treasury is responsible for defining which notes have legal tender status within the United Kingdom. According to the Bank of England, English banknotes aren't legal tender in Scotland or Northern Ireland. Likewise, Scottish banknotes aren't legal tender in England or Wales. Here's the peculiar thing. Scottish banknotes are also not even classed as legal tender in Scotland. Debit and credit cards, along with other forms of contactless payment, are now the standard. However, surprisingly, they are also not classed as legal tender anywhere in the United Kingdom. Neither are cheques, although to be fair, I can't exactly remember the last time I've seen one being used. 
There seems to be a trend now with people going into shops and petrol stations and handing over large denominations of commemorative coins for payment. The cashiers will often be confused by the practice and refuse to take them. The person paying with them states it is legal tender and the cashier is legally required to accept that payment method. I'm sorry to ruin this craze, but unfortunately, or fortunately if you're the cashier, this is not the case. So what is meant by the term legal tender? Many people believe that it is a form of payment is legal tender. Then a shop has to accept it, and when you're paying for something. The truth is, a shop owner can choose what payment they accept or refuse. There is no obligation in law for them to accept anything at all. This applies to all banknotes, coins, cards and contactless payments. So for example, if your local grocer decides only to accept payments in the form of cabbages and Pokemon trading cards, they're entitled to do so. However, it would probably limit their usual customer base. If you were to attempt to pay for your £4.50 burger with a £50 note, the cashier is not legally obligated to accept that from you. Nor do they have to display any signs to state that, although that might be helpful. While many common forms of payment, such as debit cards and contactless payments, aren't legal tender, the reality is that it makes no difference when paying for a transaction. The truth is, the term legal tender has such a narrow technical meaning that it has no real impact on our everyday life. It relates to the offer to fully pay off a debt to someone in legal tender, after which they cannot sue you for failure to repay that debt. There are stringent rules governing legal tender, for example, you would have to offer the exact amount owed because no change can be demanded. Perhaps next time you shop at the petrol station for some fuel, see if the cashier will accept a crate of cabbages and a marrow in lieu of payment. So while Scottish banknotes are not legal tender, they are, in fact, legal currency. Over in the county of Colchester, we see a rather disgruntled care home manager trying to pay his accountant with crates of copper coins. This, of course, is taking the saying, counting the pennies a step too far. All coins minted by the Royal Mint and authorised by Royal Proclamation are legal tender in England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. The Coinage Act 1971 and the Currency Act 1983 state which denomination of coins are legal tender and to what value they may be used in a single transaction. According to this Act, 1p and 2p coins are legal tender in the UK only up to an amount not exceeding 20 pence if used in the same transaction. However, there is an exception. You may use war, 1p and 2p coins if the person you're paying is happy to accept them. In fact, there are also stipulations for 5p, 10p, 20p and 50p coins. The maximum amounts for which coins are accepted as legal tender in the UK are as follows. For £2 and £1 coins is any amount. For 50p and 20p coins is up to £10. For 10p and 5p coins is up to £5. And for 2 pence and 1 pence coins is up to 20 pence. You may be interested to know that coins are legal tender irrespective of how they are presented, even if they are in a block of ice or bucket of rice pudding. There are stories in the press of people trying to pay off parking fines with a bucket load of pennies. In 2012, a care home manager was ordered to pay a total of £1,118.62 by a judge at Colchester County Court after he tried to settle an £804 debt to his accountant by dumping five crates of mostly one pence and two pence coins in his garden. On a side note, it would have been classed as legal tender and acceptable 
had the care home manager paid his debt using the following denominations. 774 £1 coins, 20 50p coins, 50 20p coins, 50 10 pence coins and 105 pence coins. There's a strange new craze sweeping the internet which is making Her Majesty's Royal Mint see red. For some bizarre reason, people have started to disassemble the £1 coin, separating them into two metallic parts. Aside from making the coins completely worthless, it carries other unforeseen consequences. Under the Currency Banknotes Act 1928, it is an offence to deface a banknote by printing, stamping or writing any words, letters or figures on it. So the next time you're in a restaurant and need to write down a phone number or feel the urge to doodle, just think twice about it. However, whilst this is an offence to deface a banknote, it is not an offence to willfully destroy a banknote. Quite why you'd want to do that, I have no idea, unless you're trying to hide some evidence of a bank robbery. However, it's not just banknotes. The Coinage Act of 1971 makes it an offence to destroy a metal coin that has been current in the UK since 1969, unless the Treasury granted a licence. In 2017, the Royal Mint had to issue a reminder to the general public when it became apparent that people were deliberately disassembling the new £1 coins and separating them into two separate parts of the inner circle and the outer circle and then fixing them back together the wrong way round. These were later being sold on eBay. Understandably, the Royal Mint were unhappy and issued a reminder that deliberately manipulating coins in this way was an offence under the Coinage Act of 1971. Hubble Bubble Toyland Shrubble. Oh, no, not that one. Ding Dong, the witch is dead. No, not that one either. Oh, yes. If the Tower of London ravens are lost or fly away, the crown will fall and Britain with it. Beware the ravens. There is a myth which states King Charles II, who reigned from 1660 to 1685, passed a royal decree requiring that six ravens be kept at the Tower of London at all times. Whilst this is held in wide belief, and there is nothing to say this isn't necessarily true, according to a curator of the historic royal palaces, there is no evidence to suggest there ever was a royal decree. Many myths and legends have developed around the tower, many to make the tower seem more sinister and foreboding to its visitors. Ravens have always had a reputation as sinister birds and omens of misfortune. Not dissimilar in the way that one would react when seeing a magpie in their garden. They are considered to be evil scavengers. It's impossible to say where the myth originated about ravens leaving the tower. It's likely to have come from Victorian times. The superstition says, if the Tower of London ravens are lost or fly away, the crown will fall and Britain with it. However, even this superstition doesn't raise its head in print records until the late 1940s. We know that the first royal observatory was housed in the north and eastern turret of the White Tower. Legend had us believe that the royal astronomer John Flamsteed complained to King Charles II that wild ravens were interfering with his observations through the telescope. He requested that the birds be removed from the tower. King Charles II being told that if the ravens left, the White Tower would fall and a great disaster would befall the kingdom, declined to remove them. There is also a variation of this legend, which states that it was the king himself who disliked the wild raven's faeces falling onto the telescope. He decided to get rid of the ravens, only to change his mind when told by a royal astronomer 
as it was very unlucky to kill a raven. If he did so, the tower would fall and he would lose his kingdom. The king is said to have decreed that at least six ravens should be kept at the tower to avert this disaster. The reality is, we don't know when ravens officially became a fixture at the tower. Although from research this has been done, it appears that the first two ravens arrived at the tower in the 1880s as pets of the yeoman warders. We also know that by the start of the 20th century, there are about five ravens at the tower. Today, nine ravens are kept at the tower by the raven's master. They occupy lodgings next to the Wakefield Tower. The raven master also keeps chicks in hatcheries to replace any absentees. While ravens are inquisitive birds and often stray outside the tower's walls, they do come back. However, there have been occasions when ravens have flown off, never to return. To prevent the ravens from flying away, they have the lifting feathers of one wing clipped. Now this doesn't hurt the ravens or harm them, it only unbalances their flight and prevents them from straying too far from the tower. They can live to a relatively old age. The oldest raven to reside at the tower reached the age of 44, and he was called Jim Crow. The ravens are ravenous birds. As well as stealing lunch from unsuspecting tourists, they consume dead rats, mice, chicks, and around six ounces of raw meat daily. They also enjoy being fed biscuits soaked in blood by the raven's master and scraps of fried bread from the mess kitchen at the tower. The ravens have strong personalities and can often go into moods. Occasionally their behaviour can become so bad they must be dismissed from the tower. The last such occurrence happened on the 13th of September 1986 when a raven called George developed an unhealthy appetite for TV aerials. He caused such a problem he was dismissed from the tower and sent to spend the rest of his days at the Welsh Mountain Zoo in Colwyn Bay. And so, we've reached the end of another episode of Bizarre Laws of the UK. If you've enjoyed the show, you may like to know that there's other shows available to listen to, such as Cooking Hot Pots with Fanny Craddock, How to Start Your Long Johns with Bert Baxter, and Learning Air Guitar with Dame Thora Hurd. Until next time, good boo! Thank you for listening to Bizarre Laws of the UK podcast. If you've loved this episode, then please take a screenshot on your phone and post it to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever you like to post. Be sure to tag me and let me know why you like this episode and what you'd like to hear more about in the future. That'll help me to know what to create for you. <laughs>